0: Are there things that you've learned out of your time of ministering into the, into the black communities that you've been able to take back into the, the business world? Um,
1: yeah, absolutely. I think, I think probably the most important one is if you work out what your purpose is, the why behind the what, then the what becomes very, very easy.
0: Hi, welcome everyone. Uh, it's good to have you here. Welcome to Lead Well, Live Well, uh, where we have authentic conversations with interesting leaders, and uh, we've got a real treat for you today. I have Andy Steele Smith. Andy, wonderful to have you here today. Great to be here, brother. Um, Thank you for having me. You're you're an unusual character. You do a lot of different things, and uh, we know you operate very well in the in the business business world, but also you have a whole. A whole area of ministry that you work in the with the gangs in South Africa. So I'd love to come to that um, a little a little later on, um, but but first of all, how did, how did an Australian boy end up in the UK doing high finance and M and A deals? <laughs>
1: it's a pretty simple story, really. I was I was chairman of a business in Australia that was uh, looking to get funded. It was a turnaround, black book turnaround uh, in London. Walked into a hedge fund who uh, uh, potentially wanted to fund this business. And uh, the uh, the CEO and CIO of the hedge fund said, great, we'll put in X-Men in, into the business. And he shook my hand. And as he shook my hand, he said, but there's one condition. I said, what's that? He said, you've got to relocate here and run it. And I said, no, no, no I'm a non-executive chairman. He said, not anymore. Awesome.
0: And you were, in, you were in England for a long time. Do you want to give us an idea of the kind of deals you were doing, what, what sort of work you were doing while you were there?
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, look, uh, some technology deals, but mainly mining and natural resources, lots of forestry and agroforestry um yeah buying and buying and selling mining assets in particular so particularly in the gold mining space and so on and we kind of surfed the the commodity super cycle so you know we looked fairly uh we looked fairly competent um but we just happened to be in the right place at the right time exactly
0: and did you um run teams over there were you pretty much a lone wolf like no a, a i had um, i
1: had a small team i had a small team of eight or ten people depending on the time but yeah it was a uh, i'd describe it as a small but high powered team and that was in my core business uh but then there was a couple of other businesses that i sat as uh in one case non-executive and or a couple of cases non-executive in one case executive chairman that had sort of 50 60 80 people
0: yeah and those sort of roles are uh they can be quite sort of intimidating for someone new to leadership coming up through the ranks relatively young how did you deal with deal with that i'm sure you had some experienced people in your teams um and as a young leader how did you wrestle with that what, what sort of lessons did you learn in those early leadership years
1: yeah, look, I think um, I think the best lessons that I learned were from the mistakes that I made when I was very young. And you know, the first company that I was CEO of, I was twenty four. I was too young; <laughs> literally, didn't know what CEO stood for. I was uh, I was tragically young and tragically tragically inexperienced. Um, and so, I made a lot of mistakes and and made a lot of errors. And um, you know, I was full of bonhomie and arrogance and foolishness and uh, so on and so forth. And um, and and that was actually that was a great school for me because I you know the 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 more times you walk into a wall the more you realize that it's not a smart thing to walk into
0: <laughs> learning the hard way yeah
1: you. that's exactly right so um you know the Joe Bugner special
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: so uh, I think I think that was actually a, a real blessing in disguise for me sort of you know roughly age twenty four to thirty four um you know making a lot of mistakes and and getting some things right commercially and having some sort of you know heroic moments and wins but also making a lot of mistakes and and a lot of mistakes in terms of Uh, leadership in particular you know i I would describe my leadership uh, style at that point in time was probably no style uh but uh but very dominating uh and uh and that's completely flipped in the last 20 years um my leadership style is absolutely all about servant uh hood servant leadership uh and not about dominating and uh you know putting everybody ahead of yourself um and uh and things tend to work pretty well there and I, i had some phenomenal mentors and phenomenal um, role models in life, which I can talk about more too, but uh, that, you know, really helped form those views and so on. Um, but, yeah, I've definitely worked out that um, that serving rather than dominating is a, is a much better style of leadership.
0: For sure. I mean, a lot of people are still operating on a command and control model, but it's just not effective these days, for sure. Correct. So was there any particular um, seminal moment where you kind of had that aha moment of, you know, control's a bit of an illusion and, you know, move more to a servant-type model? Yeah, I did, um, and, and in fact, the probably the the most
1: seminal moment for me in that regard was not actually in business. I, I was sailing. I was sailing on Sydney Harbour, uh, albeit with a bunch of people that I that I worked with and for. Uh, but I was uh, I was, I just gotten into offshore sailing, and um, because I'd been a leader in most things in my life, I wanted to be the the helmsman. <laughs> and uh, the first time I got the helm, I almost ran us into Bradley's head. <laughs> And I, I worked out light hands on the steering wheel or on the on the on the the helm, uh, rather than heavy hands was the uh, was the thing that would save the boat. Yeah,
0: that's, um, that's a great metaphor. I love that. Yeah, Just light, light hands on the steering wheel. Absolutely, for sure.
1: Yeah. And I think I think that's been my my um, yeah a great life lesson actually in everything, whether yeah. it be in the business side of things or gang side of things and so on. You don't try and control things too much. Sure. Um, you know, with with the gangs, sometimes I do. When I've got young gangs who treat me like their father, I'm quite happy to be fairly heavy-handed with them and say, "Hey, you'll do what you're told." Yeah. But for the most part, just light hands on the wheel. Yeah, uh, the uh, the wind and and the waves will guide you where you need
0: to go. Yeah, that's great. I love that. And that that transition from from the UK and doing the high finance through to South Africa. Do you want to tell us a little bit about that that transition?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, look, I think you know, sort of uh, end of the commodity super cycle, just before the GFC. Um, you know, thought I was a hero, made a lot of money. Um, The following year, I proved myself not to be quite so much of a hero because I lost most of that money. (laughs) Um, And, uh, um, you know, we went through a fairly fairly refining process, you might say, over two or three, four years in the UK, um, sort of GFC and post-GFC. And um, unrelated uh, unrelated to, you know, what had happened financially and so on, I, I really had a uh, a transformation of my spirit, I guess. I'd always been a believer, always been a Christian, or since I was a young man anyway, 10 years of age. Um, but uh, I, was, um, I was in San Diego uh, with, a, uh, with a gentleman uh, buying a coffee company <laughs> and uh, uh, got invited by a pastor friend of mine to uh, to uh, L.A. Uh, to hear him preach. And at that point in time, I really got a, um, uh, a picture of, of what the rest of my life was meant to be, which was serving people that once upon a time I would have walked past in the street and uh, and and just gone you know you're not worth talking to um and that ultimately resulted in us spending a couple of years doing quite a bit of homeless ministry and so on in the uk on weekends while i was still just doing the usual business things during the week and then uh, uh, mid-2012 we really felt or end of 2012 we felt a call to south africa it took us almost two years to get there with visas and so on and and um <clears throat> we turned up in south africa and i i presumed that i would sit probably as chairman of a number of charities Probably Christian charities, anti-human trafficking, and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, but yeah, God had a very different plan. Put us uh, as you've been, you've been and seen some of the places that uh, that we operate. Uh, put us knee deep amongst a, a few hundred thousand uh, uh, extremely impoverished people who desperately needed uh, just a little bit of assistance in
0: life. Yeah, I mean that, that's um, that's a one hundred eighty degree turn. It must have been quite a profound um, change for you to, to to turn you back on. On the on the finance world and, and then engage in something completely different, although you've kept your hand in, haven't you, with uh, with deals and you're still very much involved in in those things as well. Absolutely. Um, so tell us a little bit more about the the work that you, you're doing in South Africa. Um, I might uh, I might just share my my little story around around that. I was at uh, at a, as you know I was at a YPO conference, a leadership conference, in Cape Town, and uh, I'd met you a couple of times. Previous to that, and you rang me, and said, uh, "Marcus, here, you're in South Africa. How about you come and see the real South Africa?" And pretty much ninety percent of me thought that was a really bad idea. I was quite happy in my little um, elite bubble, um, along with a couple of thousand CEOs from around the world, and really enjoying that. And um, I thought, "No, I need to come and I need to come and see." And I was shocked, really, and it really did my head in a bit, where the contrast between this sort of um, highbrow leaders from from around the world doing doing what we do and literally two hours out of Cape Town you had this abject poverty and we're sitting in a little tin hut um you know talking with um with with people who are you know really struggling with life and life and death and uh it was quite profound so it actually had quite an impact on an impact on me just experiencing experiencing that and the contrast is, is quite quite shocking
1: I think, I think that day was actually a really interesting microcosm just thinking about it because I remember picking you up in the city and we're in a beautiful Audi S8 and we drive very fast out through the Winelands. And very we're talking, fast. <laughs> <essentially>. <laughs> allegedly. Allegedly, <laughs> allegedly. <laughs> and, uh, uh, you know, went back to, to, to our home in a gated community, lovely place, etc. We exchanged the Audi for the Land Rover yep. and then went into the community. And so we had the best and the worst and the best and the worst, not necessarily saying which is best and which is worst, uh, within five minutes of each other.
0: Yeah, it was a, a massive contrast. Yeah. So, how did you get into that? From a leadership perspective, um, the the challenges of engaging with that that community must have been quite different to, you know, the, the the cut and thrust of of boardroom politics and and doing big deals. I mean, that's a very different environment. Do you think there were leadership lessons that you learned from your corporate life that you were able to bring across into into your you know ministry into the gangs? yeah most definitely i think um
1: I think probably resilience and resourcefulness and probably more so resourcefulness uh, and the reason I say that is uh you know the gangs and the and the kids in the townships and so on they're resilient they're born resilient if they're not resilient they're dead within a day yeah. um <clears throat> and so they bought the resilience and I bought the resourcefulness and you know i, I can recall um uh you know a simple simple example when i when we started working with the with the kids in the townships because we didn't start with gangs we started just with youth and uh these young young folk, I'd, I'd say to them around a, a bry, around a, a barbecue or a grill on a Tuesday evening, I'd say, All right, boys, what do you want to do this week? What's going on in the community? And they'd say, oh, well, go, go, grandma, her, her shack burnt last night, we want to build it. And I'd say, well, okay, fantastic. Why haven't you built it yet? Do you know how to build? And they're like, we're really good at building. And I'd say, well, why haven't you built? And they'd say, well, we haven't got hammer and nails. And I'm like, I've got a credit card. <laughs> So my resourcefulness, if you like, and all the resources that I've been blessed with more than my resourcefulness with their resilience and their you know, capacity and so on, put those two things together. And uh, yeah, that, was a, that was a helpful thing. But I think for me, one of the, one of the key things was um, just before we'd, we'd been in South Africa for a year and we really felt uh, that we were meant to look, listen, and learn for a year rather than coming in and um, colonizing and saying, hey, this is how I do it, therefore you should do it the same way. And uh, so the first year we were in South Africa, truthfully I had a phenomenal year. I surfed pretty much every day and had the most self-indulgent year, it was amazing. Um, <clears throat> but then, uh, then we, started, we started serving in this township uh, for Santa Cruz, just near Durbanville that I took you to. Mm. And just at that um, one year anniversary point, um, uh, aside from my own, uh, my own father, the, the most influential uh, leader in my life passed away. His name was Rod West, uh, my school headmaster. And I had just flown uh, into Cape Town uh, on the morning that he passed from Sydney, and uh, I got a, a text message saying that he'd passed away at 83 years of age. I knew he was, he was um, close to death at that point in time. And so I flew back to Sydney for his funeral. And um, uh, of you know five or 10,000 people at his funeral, I was his favorite student. And unfortunately, there was also somewhere around about 8 or 9,000 other people who thought they were his favorite student, and they were all right, of course.. I love that. That's so good. Um, but it's absolutely true. But, but I learnt one thing at his funeral. Another great headmaster, Timothy Wright, who was the headmaster until a few years ago of the Shaw School, um, had been uh, a boarding master at Trinity. And, uh, and he gave the final eulogy. There was quite a few, but he gave the final eulogy. And I'd, I'd been in virtually every leadership role uh, at Trinity, i.e. You know, leadership in sport, leadership in school, leadership. I'd been president of the Old Boys, had been uh, on the school council, uh, the board of directors, if you like, et cetera but I'd never been on the staff. And so were, I learned one thing at Mr. West funeral, and that was uh, that he started every single staff meeting with prayer. And then he he said the following statement. He said, remember, team, if you build the community, you'll kill the community. But if you love the people, the community will flourish. So if you build the community, you'll kill it. But if you love the people, the community will flourish. And that was actually a really a light bulb moment for me because that was the exact opposite of what – So much of church leadership would be about, and what so much business leadership would be about—it's all about vision, 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 vision—and people come along and follow, rather than saying just serve and love, serve and love, serve and love, and everything else will sort itself out. And so, shortly after that, we started serving in the uh, in the community, and I just took that to heart. I just said, right, we're here to serve. We're here to ask questions, not provide answers, because what do I know about these kids' environment? All I can do is bring a little bit that I have to add to to that which they have, and
0: act as a catalyst. Yeah, that, that's a very that's very insightful. That loving loving the community rather than trying to build the community. Um, there'll be very few leaders, I think, that actually operate like that. But uh, that obviously gave you um, a lot of access into into that community. Uh, you're a wealthy white man. These are um, poor black kids. How did you bridge that gap? I mean, that's uh, you know obviously you're saying you you're serving and bringing resources, but even being able to walk into those environments and be welcomed I saw the reaction from the kids you're you know you're loved there and uh, and people obviously have a lot of respect respect for you that doesn't happen overnight I'm sure that was not an easy an easy transition so how did you how did you begin to connect with these these kids
1: um, well the first the first uh, example was uh, the the very first braai that we had eight young men around the uh, around the braai Following week it was 20, uh, following week 40, following week 60, 80, 100, 200, et cetera, et cetera, over a period of months. Um, but I'd, I was building relationship. And when you build relationship, that means that there's responsibility. And so these youngsters would, would call me at one in the morning and say, Uncle Andy, I just got raped. Will you come? And I'd say, okay, I better come. And they'd say, Uncle Andy, I just got beaten. Will you come? And I'd say, well, I'd better come. Or, Uncle Andy, I just got arrested. Will you come? And I'd say, well, I'd better, I'd better come. And so I was just in and out of the community the whole time. Um, And I describe myself as the greatest fraud because uh, everybody in that community within three or four months thought that they knew me. But it was just because I waved to every single person, no matter what. I look like an idiot because I'm just going like this the whole time. But every single person I would just wave to them. And eventually I did get to know most of them. There's 50 or 60 odd thousand people in that particular community. So, um, so yeah, just, you know, just hanging out and spending time and just, I think, you know, the older you get, the more you realize um, uh, people are people are people. You know, we all bleed the same, we all smell the same, we all want the same things in the morning and we all need the same thing lasting in the evening. Yeah. And uh, the more that we think we have uh, differentiations between us, well, the more on a hiding to, to, to know where we are. And so I think, you know, I've just worked out in life, it's pretty simple really. You treat people like they're people and then treat you like a person back.
0: Yeah, so true, so true. Um, <clears throat> so you've gone from the, this business, sort of high finance into you know poverty, and you're serving in that in that environment. And I know you're doing you're doing kind of both. You're sort of doing a, a that ministry, but also uh, still putting deals together. And I yep. know you're on a, a bunch of boards, uh, which you do well because uh, I you know I sit on a board with you, so I get get to experience some of that wisdom. Um, are there things that you've learned out of your time of, of ministering into the into the black communities that you've been able to take back into the the business world?
1: Um yeah absolutely i think i think probably the most important one is if you work out what your purpose is the why behind the what then the what becomes very very easy um it's never hard to get up in the morning and go to another meeting or have another conference call or jump on another aeroplane or or go spend more money to to invest into a project if the why behind that what is is clear um so that's probably the greatest one and i think actually having the privilege of serving people that uh, that God's put in front of us um, really gave me that 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 sense of why, uh, and so the what has become
0: a lot more powerful. Yeah, that uh, that knowing your why is really important. It helps you say no to a bunch of things. Great, uh, and kind of understand what your what your core what your core is and and where you're going, what the priority should be. Um, you, I mean, you're super super busy. Every time we try and connect, you know, you're you're super busy. Lots of things going on as as we all are, uh, but you've got. Ministry in South Africa, you're coming back to coming back to Australia. You've got a lot. You've got a lot going on. How do you manage your your time? You know, part of this podcast is about how to lead and have a life, uh, which is uh, it's it's not easy because there's lots of things pulling on us. How do you do? You have any keys of managing your time? You obviously have a, a great family, and you know, I've met your family. They're wonderful, and uh, you know, you obviously have a good good relationship with your wife and your kids. And that's not easy to manage in a in a busy environment. You're doing your business things, and you're also doing this this other demanding uh, tasks with the uh, with the kids. How do you manage all that? How do you navigate some of the those demands?
1: <laughs> um, I, I like to tell people that I was never diagnosed with ADHD because I didn't sit still long enough to take the test. <laughs> <laughs> so I think I think I'm probably made for it in the yeah. sense, in that I'm uh, you know I. I, I can flip from one thing to the other quite well. And, and uh, that's a, uh, I, I like that. That excites my spirit, if you like. It gives me a, um, I operate well in that space and it, it, it serves me well. Um, but I think also just being able to be 110%, um, my mathematician friends will criticize me for that statement, but 110% laser focused on whatever I'm doing at the time. So I play what's in front of me. So if I'm, if I'm at the skate park with my son Gabe, and there's nothing else that's that's taking my attention. If I'm surfing, um, and and gang war breaks out, it can wait. <laughs> uh, if I'm in a, a board meeting and gang war breaks out, it can wait. If I'm preaching at a gang funeral and I get a board call, it can wait, etc. So just being present in whatever I'm doing, and wherever I'm whatever whatever I'm doing, I just do it to the best of my ability at that point in time and Frankly, forget about everything else. I suppose I'm the, I'm the perfect, not perfect, sorry. I suppose I'm the typical male. That's a better way of putting it. I'm very compartmentalised. Whatever I'm doing, I'm forgetting about everything else
0: at that point in time. Yeah, I like that. So being very present in the moment, being mindful of uh, what's happening right there at that moment in time. Correct. As opposed to thinking about the past or the future or anything else. I like that. That's really good, being present in the moment. Uh, anything else um, you would have for leaders? I mean, obviously get some younger leaders coming, coming through. Any key leadership? key leadership characteristics that you have adopted over the years that have sort of helped you. You talked a lot about um, the servant leadership model, uh, loving the community, being present, mindful in, in the moment. Anything else that uh, you would like to leave people with that's been a bit of a key for you?
1: Um, humour. Um, I, yeah, I, I personally find humour is one of the most um, – Helpful things in leadership, and it's certainly very helpful with the work I do with the gangs and so on. To walk up, walk up to a gangster with a gun sticking out of his belt, and say, "Your zip's undone," and then he says, "No, it's not." So you reach down and pull it down, and go, "Now it is." <laughs> um, that's 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 quite a um, is disarming, quite literally. Yep. But I use the same thing, as you well know, in the boardroom and in the in the corporate environment, just using humour because it's actually disarming, yep. and it puts you in a position of control without having to be the dominant controlling person. It just puts you in a position of Um, of being able to sort of drive the narrative a little and so on, but still doing it in a a non-dominant fashion,
0: if you like. Yeah, it can be very disarming, can't it? I know sometimes humour is used in the boardroom to cover up going a little deeper. Yeah. Um, And and so sometimes, and I think that's a very Australian thing actually, is if things get a bit sensitive, you throw some humour in. But I've seen you use it to sort of disarm um, an environment that might be a little tense. I think that's a, a very wise way of... ...wise way of u- of doing it. It's universal. It's always good to connect over a bit of humour... ...and, and uh, uh, most of my South African friends have been giving me... ...a f- bit of a hard time since the UL World Cup, so... so what, what, what is that? <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> um, what what, what colour do the all-blacks wear? Black, isn't it? Yeah, very very <laughs> <vocal afterwards laughs> I've, I've, I've found. You sort of caught in the middle... ...so you had options around uh, around that. 100%.
1: Um,
0: Andy... Absolute pleasure to uh, talk to you today. I know we're going to connect, going to connect again. Um, we're going to talk a little bit more about your faith in our uh, other, other podcast around Monday Movement. So, looking forward to to doing that. But uh, in the meantime, pleasure to see you. Great to see you, my friend. Thank you very much for your time today.
1: Thank you so much for honouring me by having me here. I really appreciate it. Love well, what you do.
0: You're, you're most welcome. It's great to see you. Yeah, you too, my friend. God Thank bless. You. Thanks. Enjoy. Thanks for joining us on another episode from the Lead Well, Live Well podcast. Thanks for your company. Please like and subscribe. It really helps support the channel if you do that. If you're a business leader and you have an interest in strategy and culture, leadership, then please join us at our website, leadwelllivewell.com. All those links will be in the description below. Until next time,